Welcome to the third episode of Reproducibility, recording from a very sunny uh, summer's day in Oxford, which is rare. Um, I'm Amy. And I'm Sam. And I'm Sophia. And we're sitting together in my shared office. Um, and we're actually drinking some water instead of tea because it is really, really warm. Um, but in addition to that, we will be talking about an article today. It is measuring the prevalence of questionable research practices with incentives for truth-telling from 2012 in Psych Science. And we discussed this in our journal club, and it was a really interesting discussion. So I, I hope it will be as engaging as it was with 20 other people um, today with just three of us. But I think there are some really interesting questions that, that are raised by this, because it really extends from what we were talking about in the previous episode about how the use of questionable research practices can really inflate your false positive rates so that you find an effect when there's nothing there. Um, and that can be up over 50% if you engage in just three or four of these. So I think it's really important to for us to understand how many of these questionable research practices are being used do people think they're okay? Um, how much do we actually doubt other people's research? And these are all questions we'll we'll look at. But maybe let's start with kind of the main issue, which is what is a questionable research practice? Um, so an example that I've used as like a super clear cut is that it would be something that for instance, could inflate your false positive rate, or it's just something that we generally don't feel like is a kosher practice, but it's maybe short of actual fraudulent or the sort of behavior that everybody knows is wrong and should be punished. Mm. Yeah, it's a bit weird that in this paper, they actually do include things like falsifying your own data <laughs> as a QRP, because that is most definitely wrong. But there's a huge range of these practices and I think it's it is a really unclear term because yeah some people say this this practice is wrong but then we just say oh that's questionable which is a bit of a of a weird term yeah I think the reason why it's un, unclear as you say um, is because it's not actually a thing it's a political term so we have to call these practices that are mostly actually very clearly wrong given what we're doing kind of thing right like given the, the, the framework the, the methods that, you, that you're using um, we have to call them questionable research practices because everyone's been doing them uh, or is still doing them um, or not everyone but maybe a large proportion of people um, and therefore if we called called it just plain wrong we would offend a lot of people and alienate them which isn't really helping the cause it's so, really, it reminds me of, I went to a talk when I was in Tubing last year, and there was a Dutch psychologist who works with investment bankers, and I forgot her name, but she works with the banking authority there to kind of make them become more ethical. And she was all saying about how you can't kind of go up to a person and be like, you're unethical, <laughs> um, because then they just shut down. Well... I guess you need to find other ways. And maybe this term questionable research practice, yeah, maybe it is that you can kind of say, oh, look, this paper might have a questionable research practice without, you know, you saying that person is a, 
you know, kind of doing something really, really, really wrong. Well, I don't know. I I still think that by saying it's a question of research practice, we are saying what the person is doing is wrong. But because we're not saying it's wrong, we're kind of putting the focus more on on the practice rather than the person, right? Because I think, again, if we say it's wrong, then what that woman said as well, you Mm. kind of, you end up with that conflation of of science and scientist. Um, Whereas I think when you, you, if you call it questionable research practice, then you're putting the focus on the the practice rather than the person, Mm -hmm. which it, you know, it shouldn't be either when you say it's wrong, Mm. but that's just how people work, I guess. Um, So... I guess it's useful. Yeah, I guess I guess it's useful in that way to just make make it clear that, you know, we're not trying to say that anyone personally is bad or wrong. We're just trying to say that these things that people are doing are not right. <laughs> and some of them, I think, it's a combination of issues that makes them a questionable research practice. So, um, for instance, if you if you engaged in one of the questionable research practices in this paper, so say. Uh, deciding whether to exclude data after looking at the impact of doing so on the results. If you're at least transparent about that, then at least it's clear what's going on and it's happening. So you're engaging in something that maybe isn't ideal, but could actually be an exploratory strategy that if you then follow up with confirmatory research and so on could work. But But it presupposes that you have the transparency in place for it not to be. Okay, so basically maybe the entire reason why we're calling it questionable is not necessarily because the actions themselves are wrong but because of the lack mm. of transparency well i guess like well, things like not de- not reporting dependent variables you that's, can't that's like that's just intransparency yeah. well yeah those yeah but yeah i well, think I mean, you can also do optional stopping and not correct for anything and um if you're transparent about it people can at least you know it's correct for, for it to mm. like, well I mean, like, no but that's still wrong though well, but I, at least they can put it into context. I when you can ma- highlight that it is wrong at that point, right? Which is which is a big thing. And I, I wonder. I guess at least that would let us salvage all the past research. <laughs> you know, if people would have actually said, "I have not reported this. this <laughs> I have not reported this dependent variable." Um, yeah, uh, that was that was stupid. No. Um, I love salvage. Like dredge it from the depths in the well, hope but, there might you know, be some like information people, left in there. I know people's whole PhDs that are looking at you know can we actually use past research in meta analyses if we mm. know that that you know, just how it's built on foundations of of QRPs and and rubbish. Um, yeah, definitely. If, if we got people to actually <laughs> sort of yeah well disclose the things that they actually did in the studies. Maybe that's a way of going around burning everything down. Yeah. Well, if we, if we, you know, this this hasn't happened. Um, so I think, you know, that we need to really think about what is happening now, and that's these QRPs are being used um, without disclosure. They're often being used by people who don't maybe don't know that they're wrong or they kind of haven't really decided to digest it um but you have this real range of you know one person would say this is this is you know really really wrong well somebody else would be like oh no you know it's fine in these circumstances so why is there such a gray area of of questionable research practices i think more often than not it's a lack of education about that particular practice so if we if we think of it like a gray scale from like black to white right i think 
some people think that some of these practices are genuinely closer to white because they're not going to have that much impact on the results, so it's going to be fine. Whereas when teaching. you're more educated about it and you you kind of, yeah, the teaching, when you've actually read false positive psychology, for example, you see a lot of these practices as a lot closer to the black. So that's where I see the grayscale maybe being useful in that what the purpose of it being a questionable research practice, or us calling us that, is to sort of shift it further and further towards the black as time goes on. And I think to it's not try and squash it as much as possible. Like, like it's not only reading false positive psychology as like education that black is black. I think there's also, at least a couple of years ago, still a lot of education going on that black is white. You know, people mm. telling you, oh, it's yeah. okay to change your hypotheses after you know the results to make a better story. And I think this is something we've been seeing a lot in our journal club. Um, people saying, oh yeah, but. I was taught this two years ago, you know, in this department. Um, and so I guess that's also one of these problems is that our research area is evolving. But yeah, I was, I was, so I was just going to say that um, it seems weird that um, we have this gray area and which is, which mainly seems to be there because people Sorry, don't... Sorry, it oh, is now yeah. 5 p.m. <laughs> and you will now hear some ringing. <laughs> You know, it's, it's all for the setting, the atmosphere. Um, where was I? Sorry. Um, yes, yeah, so we have this grey area, which is seems to be mainly there because people didn't know any better. And that at first seems weird, because usually when we talk about rules and rule, rule violations, when people go, like, violate a rule, um, not knowing it doesn't uh, doesn't save you from the punishment, right? But, so I like, yeah, so I think it's, it's yeah, that point of saying, well, no, but people have actually been actively taught that what they're doing is right um, is really important there then because that I think that makes it understandable why we're, why we're saying that there's a gray area and that one that like a gray area that actually does save you from punishment punishment is a big word but mm. does, does save you from sort of have, being having done being being branded as do as one as malicious exactly yeah. because yeah. because actually um, it's not that you didn't know about a law, it's that you were taught the wrong laws. Mm. And I think for the for some as well, it might open up the doors to, so say in typical peer review, people are used to pointing out certain critiques, maybe about the methodology or the sampling or something. So now by having this umbrella term of questionable research practices, you also include lots of other practices that are becoming the norm to sort of say, well, you don't have enough power here. You, you say that you've collected these measures, but you don't report the analyses for all of them. Can you be a bit more transparent about that? So by call, by having this umbrella, maybe it can kind of come into more common practice. <laughs> maybe it will just shift over time. That, yeah, this grey area will hopefully just shift and help people transition into better. That's a very positive way of looking well, at No, you're just, you're just making, you're establishing the rules in a clear way, in yeah. an open and transparent, <laughs> rigorous way. You have to have <laughs> something, right, to say in that transition period, like, so many people are doing this, but they should be doing better. You need something that... I think it, it's yeah. a very difficult thing to bridge, and I think that's what we see, that we're seeing in this discussion as well, is that you kind of want to say, they're all wrong, they're all wrong, and, like, sound alarm bells, but then you also want to help people ease into things, and saying, you know, you, this is malicious practice <laughs> is not going to help that transition. Yeah, but that's the thing, though, right? I, I don't, I just, I don't know. I think saying that something is wrong shouldn't imply mm. that it's malicious. I get that it does, but... I, don't, I just worry a bit that if we 
constantly have to water things down, you know, water, water, water down our criticisms, um, if that's an, that's an idiom in English as well, right? So. <laughs> um, then we end up in a place where people don't take it that seriously because, oh, you know, it's just questionable. If this is not as big of a problem, or what crisis, you know? Um, or what revolution, if you want to... Like, I actually prefer revolution. But. I think, I think, but that's what we see day in, day out in science, that we can't directly criticise people, you know. And it, it's, it's very weird because these norms aren't really found outside of psychology and outside of science in that I often talk to journalists and they're like, why are you screaming this from the rooftop that these things are wrong? And you're just like, oh, but I can't because like, oh it's not like you can't really do that and then they're just like you should just say that it's it's wrong there's also the power imbalance right so it's the more often than not without trying to overgeneralize it's the senior researchers that have made a career on these practices that are the exact people that are able to shout down the ladder but they're not used to being shouted up so if you have a phd student or even master's students or even undergraduate students that want to do research in an improved way they're not used to being told no this is wrong so then you have to water it down but then as a byproduct the message sometimes doesn't mm. come across um I mean, they, but they, that's they maybe they a whole other rant <laughs> but yeah but i think it's interesting though right because they don't even have to shout down the ladder they can just cut the ladder off in a way right yeah. I, you, you saw that thing was it the, the SPS this sort of thing where they just openly yeah, I think it it's is. That was slapstick psychologists and all that stuff. It's just. Yeah, I think I think you know this opens a whole other can of worms. Um, yes. Sorry. But I think well, we will talk what about I, this in the future. Yeah. <laughs> Rant for days. What what I really think is interesting is to look at the methodology of this study because mm. we really need to think about does it practice what it preaches? <laughs> um, because I felt it was quite a difficult paper to navigate. Um, and I know that when I presented this in the journal club, it was more or less like, it was like, did anybody understand the methodology? And everybody's like, nope. And then it was like, okay. <laughs> and does anyone actually think that this is a study that would be, like that, that could be considered rigorous and um, sort of up to the standard that we want it to be also? It's a sign of the times, isn't it? I mean, it was 2012. 20, 2012 so they've not quite managed to tell everybody about the practices within their own paper that need to be improved what, to, what, to quite, be able to be quite, reviewed to then, again, meta at this yeah, point. Quite ironic. Yeah. What, what is especially unclear in the paper? So maybe we should describe the methodology itself. So... Yeah, I can, I can, um, I can do that. So they, they, I think it was... 26? No, less. Less questionable research practices. Not 10 questionable research practices. And they had like multiple studies, but they're not very clearly marked out as being multiple studies. Um, but they sent, more or less in a simple way, they sent out all these questionable research practices and they asked people three things. So do you do it yourself? How often do you think other people do it? And how, what's the admission rate? So if another person had done it, how what's the likelihood that they'll actually tell you that they've done it. And then they could use each of these measures to look at the actual prevalence of the behavior. So they really just want to look at the prevalence of these behaviors in science. And then they did another another study at the end, looking at different ways of asking these questions, um, a couple of sub-questions. We might come and go into that. Um, and then they also had these two versions of the study, 
one with a Bayesian truth serum. And well, overall, you could donate money. Uh, they said that they would donate money to a cause if you filled it out. And in one condition, they just people just got told that a donation would be made. And then the other, they got told that donation would be made. And the amount depends on how truthful their answers were. And they used something called a Bayesian truth serum to... Uh, I don't even know what they did. Um, no, I think, that, I think they described it. It got it thrown like into a black box, magic happened, and then we have this paper. Uh, yeah, they, that's, they, they, that's what it feels like. Yeah, they literally said a, a scoring algorithm developed by one of the authors was used. <laughs> um. I also liked, respondents were not given the details of the scoring system, but were told that it was based on an algorithm published in... And then in italics, science! <laughs> Ooh. And were given a link to the article... <laughs> yeah, so they were not told what it is. <laughs> no. <laughs> Wait, are they saying that that article is so basically? Are they they're saying that that article is um, not informative? Then, if they're saying they weren't they weren't told what it is, but they were given a link uh, well, to the article. Were, I guess because they yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe maybe this was just a way of getting their age factor up. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> well, yeah. so they think uh. The old metric score. I mean, it could be a word count thing. It could be an appeal to, yeah, yeah. like... True. It's uh, like science did have a word count at that point in the method section. They don't have it that anymore, but... Well, I mean, they could they could have still had supplementals, right? Which would have... And they do have supplementals, oh, they do? but well, they don't put the algorithm in the supplemental. <laughs> well, essentially, we're a bit unclear on how this yeah. actually worked. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's probably... We don't really want to go into detail because... There were a couple of times in the paper as well where it took me a while to actually figure out what tables were supposed to tell me. Mm -hmm. um, but because this journal club is a bit more about kind of just giving the overview of, of the issues, I think we'll probably just skip over over this one. But it does show you, it's just interesting that, you know, paper in 2012 about open science, <laughs> and, you know, is is pretty unclear um, so at maybe times. So maybe the way to go forward is to just kind of ignore what this paper actually is and just take it as a, a kickoff to the discussion. Yeah, and I guess we'll take a break before that discussion Perfect. resumes. You are listening to Reproducibility, serving you discussions of important issues in science and psychology one mug of tea at a time. Do you like the taste of our podcast? Give us a follow on Twitter at reproducibility, rate us on iTunes, and tell other early career researchers about us. If you have any questions or suggestions, you can reach us on Twitter or via our email address, which is reproducibility at gmail.com. Over the next weeks, we will also release some special tea flavors, which are small podcast episodes talking to a wide range of psychological researchers, especially awesome ECRs that we want you to meet. If you have someone you think should come on the show, send us a message. Welcome back to the third episode of Reproducibility. We're talking about the prevalence of questionable research practices. And after, you know, some general talk about questionable research practices, let's actually just go in and have a look at what this paper tells us. So I think let's have a look at figure one. What is most striking about this figure? Everybody's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. I, I, think, I think the rates are a lot higher than you would expect. So you could read false positive psychology and know that there's bad things that people do and they inflate the false positive rate. But to actually kind of see the sheer prevalence is scary, right? Well, it, it shows that some are kind of the norm. Like the prevalence estimate derived from admission estimate, which they capped at 100 because it sometimes rose over 100 um, is really high. But I think even if we look at the self-admission rate, you know, if 80%, almost 80%, 70% of people are suggesting that they do certain questionable research practices, it does kind of show us that they're almost normative. Yeah. Well, I mean, even so the one of the questionable research practices is selectively reporting studies that worked. And around about 50% of respondents said they did that. So out of the 2,000 respondents, there's at least a 1,000 studies out there that are just false positives, or not, sorry, not false positives, that are no results, or that didn't quite work, quite work that have gone unreported for, for whatever reason. Um, and that's that's scary, right? That's a huge file draw problem. Yeah, I, def- I definitely have one in the file drawer. <laughs> <laughs> You know, that first study you do as a PhD student, that just doesn't work. But I think Sam and I had this conversation previously where we were like, we should just stick it up on the OSF. Because, yeah. Yeah, Um, yeah. Because why not? Because why not? I think I was also interested, because that's, like, things like failing to report all dependent measures and collecting more data after seeing whether results were significant. I think those are also the practices that are heavily used and then by people and then they're also passed down to researchers of the next generation and that I think it is quite prevalent that you will have worked with somebody who told you to not report every dependent measure that you you found or at least you know I've done, I've been in that situation and yeah, at so that point, yeah. Yeah, so it's not surprising that it's normative if it mm. is normative, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, wait, yeah. Sorry, that was like, that's weirdly not a tautology actually, but yeah. Right, so if it if it is taught to people, then it's not surprising that you get this. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think that's why it's reflected quite well in the defensibility rating as well. So the the ones that are more prevalent are more defended by the people that do them, which kind of makes sense, right? It's like, mm. well, of course I would do this. That's the way I was taught. It's it's just normal practice. Do you think that's more problematic than, you know, is it more problematic that 70% of people fail to report all dependent measures or that 10% of people, there seems to be, have falsified data? It's I guess that one's probably even more because it's just wrong. Yeah, I mean, like, that's, I guess, yeah, it's just, that's just wrong, right? That's not a question of research practice. That, that surely never was a question of research practice. They must have put that in. Just I think because, like, just to sort of have, have something where where people will surely, um, you know, be be honest. Oh, actually, no, you really wouldn't be honest then, wouldn't you? It's kind of the comparison point. It's the one that you know objectively is wrong. Yeah. So you kind of need that one to have a, a baseline. Also, um, I mean, so one thing I'm wondering about this is that, you know, you have all these, these different things that you might have done wrong or that you might have done, just full up. Um, I wonder how much explanation they added to this, because this was 2012, right? So not that many people were talking about these issues. So maybe 
when you hear, um, you know, I don't know, stopping data collection after achieving the de desired result, maybe people didn't even necessarily understand what that means, right? Yeah, and I think they did note something about this. So they they said not all in the very end somewhere, not all self-admissions represent scientific felonies or even misdemeanors. Some respondents provided perfectly defensible reasons for engaging such behaviors. And I, I think they didn't, I, I underline that because I'm, I'm not that, I didn't really agree with that statement. Um, but they did say that some people had defensible justifications. Example, dropping dependent measures inconsistent with the hypothesis Oh no, that were contentious. Sorry, I'm now having. Um, I, one of the no, no, they did. Yeah. The one example that they gave is actually contentious. It's it's dropping <laughs> dropping dependent measures inconsistent with the hypothesis because doing so enabled a more coherent story to be told and thus increased the likelihood of publication. That's not what you should do. Well, no, it, it's defensible in the sense that there's a reason for it and, and and it's it's honest right we're doing this because the system demands that we do it to get prestige and jobs and so on and so forth it doesn't make the practice right but mm -hmm. it, it gives you an indication of why the practice is happening in the first place yeah also i'm slightly annoyed that they didn't have more of a report of this throughout the paper just a section to say here were some common responses that were either yeah that people used to justify because that would be really useful information yeah because that would also be a great way of um like something to jump off from for um for people to tr try to think of yeah about solutions and ways of convincing people oh, convincing sounds weird again political but <laughs> yeah i i think i now found what i actually wanted to quote because they said although falsifying data is never justified the same cannot be said for all the items on our survey. For example, failing to report all of the study's dependent measures could be appropriate if two measures of the same construct show the same significant patterns of results, but cannot be easily combined into one measure. But that's not the reason why people drop dependent measures. Well, and also, though, right? yeah. I think in the current scientific culture, I feel like you just need to report all dependent measures, even if they measure the same thing and you can't combine it. You know, if you do a 21 word statement in a journal, you need to report all these measures, even if they, if you think they measure the same thing, it will be important yeah, for somebody yeah. to know. Because like, when, like, even if they both sort of support what you're doing, um, it's still interesting to have that, surely. Mm. I mean, just like, even a footnote, right? To say in the other measure that measures take supposedly the same thing, the results were the same. Like even nah, something just I don't to be transparent. It's... it's not enough, but at least it's something, right? It's a step in the right direction. Yeah, well, I don't know. Like, I, I think enough? no. I think that's I, maybe I'm too idealistic there. But it's like if you're doing something, you you, know, you might as well do it properly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and then I think a footnote doesn't really do justice to the. Well, I think this, this again shows us kind of a how quickly you can get into grey areas. And I think something mm -hmm. really interesting is that yeah, in this study they found 94% of participants admitted to engaging in at least one questionable research practice in the Bayesian truth serum condition. Um, but the, they really note that there's still a really large variation in where people draw this red line in that if you admit to something that not a lot of people admit to, you're probably going to admit to other things as well that are more prominent. And they, they said that this red line was quite variable. Um, but it's still crazy. I wonder what, the, what that would look like now. Um, mm. Because I, I don't know, I... I I get the feeling that it would probably be still quite variable. No, actually, maybe not. Maybe just be sort of two camps, because I think that is something that is 
happening at the moment where you where you do have people who sort of get it and people who are not getting it or kind of against it maybe even I so, could I could see I don't know maybe, maybe I'm less more, maybe I'm a bit more pessimistic but I think we do live in a Twitter bubble and actually things are changing and you'll probably see something rise but I think that actually the admissions rate will just go down is that people people will just probably still probably not say that they're doing it as much uh, yeah. probably still say it's prevalent and then say that the admission rate is a lot lower that people would just yeah. not admit to doing it as much I don't know true right. I wonder whether 80% of people would now admit well I mean yeah probably fewer people hopefully fewer people are doing I know we do live in Twitter bubble I don't know everyone's crying it would be such a bias. Like, no, we don't do that. Or at least we don't agree that we should do it. While, while we're bashing the items... <laughs> let's let, let's I, get, get our... Can, can, yeah, can, can, can I point out that in a paper, rounding off a p-value, e.g. reporting that a p-value of 0. 0.054 is less than 0. 0.05... That's not That's rounding. not a questionable research practice. That's fucking fraudulent and... <laughs> just bullshitting about your data. I mean, I thought, I thought rounding off would be, you know, the, the weird P equals point that, that's zero what five, I... which you do see in papers, and mm. it's like, okay, so the P value was like point zero five two, um, but less than? Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I mean. There's, I haven't it's seen that. moving it into an area that's like, well, no, you're just lying about your results at this stage. Well, that, I, guess, not... I guess you could still say, oh, it's round, if you round down. You... No, but, no, no, but that's no, what I mean, it, it says less than. Yeah, mm. so you can't, uh... round, you can't round down from 0. 0.054 yeah. to so, point... Yeah, yeah. Just where for me, it goes <laughs> from the, the grey area, the really, really dark grey area, into the black, right? The good thing about the stat check. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, and I didn't even... know until, like, stat check advertisements. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, I didn't even realise that. Yeah, that's pretty bad. So um, they themselves didn't even properly um, yeah. get what... 20% of people admitted to doing that. Oh, that's every fifth person. Um... Well, why don't well, we... Yeah, that's what we need to say. <laughs> when, when we're talking about that and being a bit sad, why don't we talk about... <laughs> I'm so sad. something Well, let's, let's talk about trust and research integrity, yeah. Sophia. Do you just want to make me cry? <laughs> um, maybe. Well, why don't we um, look at figure two? Yes. Um, so in figure two, you have the different categories of researchers. Mm. I love how they put grad students in. Um, <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Um, We're an alien group of people. Yeah, and then it said, it, it looked at, you know, do you have doubts concerning the integrity of the research conducted by this category and percentage of participants? Um, and I guess, I don't know, what, what do you think strikes, strikes you in this graph? <laughs> it's, it's, the, it's the same old, same old, isn't it? It's, I'm fine. Twenty-five percent still doubt themselves once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> That's something, mm. but I think that should be way higher. I think I think what I'm what I find is like naturally we see this. You know, I don't doubt myself and my collaborators. I doubt other people more. Mm. Um, but I also feel like it is funny how little people doubt yeah. the integrity <laughs> of research. You know, forty percent. Well, because you, you know, you there, there is this culture of you're not allowed 
to mistrust people because that's something bad. Because again, mistrusting people, like, no, 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 not, not, not people, right? Mistrusting the science that people do means you're mistrusting people. Yeah, but like, isn't it sad that yeah. we as scientists, we are told day in, day out that we are employed, we get money from people and public money to think critically about things. And then we don't think critically about the work we actually do. It's like just a massive farce. Like it's a massive circus and where we just like enjoy ourselves by spending public money. Yeah, it's, it's, it's storytelling, right? Mm. So storytelling doesn't have anything to do with being critical and um, reflecting on things. It's, it's just how can I sell my product? And that's mm. all that the paper is really, isn't it? It's selling the research, which is a big problem in itself, right? Because then if you're you're not actually criticising the research, you're criticising the paper. So there's still this distinction between the way they report things and the way that they've done things. And the paper is the thing that, that's permanent. Like, I, I did this, I'm finished, this is my result. Like, you can't criticise this, it's polished, it's done. Whereas... Oh, and it's in a, in a very good journal, therefore it must be even better. <laughs> <laughs> Look at the impact factor. Uh, that, that means I did good, <laughs> good sciences. <laughs> yeah, it We're is. We're gradually obsessing Sophia more and more. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I've, yeah, I think it's just, it's just, it's weird why we don't, why even just voicing some criticism of studies, maybe in journal clubs, maybe in meetings, where it's not even your collaborator's work is seen as kind of an arty thing to do. Well, isn't that supposed to be our job? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Like you're allowed to do sort of um, the the shallow sort of oh you know but couldn't you have done a little bit of, of this here? That kind of criticism mm -hmm. is fine. But anything that goes deeper than that is immediately criticism yeah. of, the, of the person. Or at we, least a sign that you are assuming that scientists are doing bad things intentionally, yeah. which I just don't think is the case. I don't think we have to, again, like, I mean, I know I keep saying this, but I just don't think that this sort of short circuiting from um, someone, someone is uh, criticizing my research to someone is bullying me is, I just don't think that's like, I it's think just science, not scientific in a science way. would be so much better if that wouldn't be the case because we could openly just work on things. I think at the moment we're just, you know, we're in fantasy land trying to save our face to other people, trying to save our face to funders and governments, but knowing deep inside that everything is, you know, pretty crap, but then you can't actually say it. And then maybe after 50 years, when you start becoming senile because of all the free food and conferences, <laughs> you'll start believing yourself. You know, it's like how often, you know, we're, at least I'm a social psychologist, like we should be able to figure this one out. Um, Maybe that's part of like the silver lining of questionable research practices is it actually gives sort of a platform to introduce both practices that we now know more clearly are going to produce either false positives or just poorer quality research, but then also to introduce new ones, but in a platform that is maybe more acceptable to those that have resistances. So it still is improving things, albeit always far too slow. 
Yes, on it's still sad. I still want to burn things down. Thank you very much. Maybe on <laughs> sorry, that... So I'm just really sad. <laughs> on that di- kind of sad note, um, I think we might end this podcast. I think <laughs> oh, that's so cruel. Burn it down. Yeah, we have... It'll all be okay from Sam. It'll. We have. It should all be burned down from Sophia. Well, not and burned down, but just. I just. <laughs> well, I mean, yes, burned down, but I just. I don't know. I just. Mm. If we could have a quick, a rapid transition from questionable research practice to outright, we don't accept this practice. Mm. Then things would greatly improve. That's, I think, what what needs to happen a lot quicker than it is. Yeah, well, yeah, if that was possible without offending people, that would be great. Well, we'd, we're happy to hear any contribution from our listeners on this. <laughs> um, it is a really interesting discussion, and I think we touched on a lot of problems, a lot of things that you can see in a lot of different ways, as good, as bad, as somewhere in between. Um, and I guess that's just how science is. So thank you for listening.